You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 87. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. Blood sugars can normalize literally overnight if you change your lifestyle and diet. So if a patient chooses to change their lifestyle and we have them on a continuous blood glucose monitor, we'll see their blood sugars go from 400 to 90s, literally overnight. You don't, it's, people have a misconception that they have to lose all this weight. They have to do all this stuff, but no, you just change your lifestyle and things change. Happy, happy Sunday, veggie lovers. I hope that you are having a plantastic day and you are ready to start a plantastic week ahead. I have a really great episode for you as part of my series on diabetes. This is a follow-up to last week's episode, but this one is with an endocrinologist who is triple board certified and certified in plant-based nutrition. She's awesome, answers my questions, and gives lots of great tips and information. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. Before we get on to the episode, just a few reminders. If you'd like to join my mailing list, I forget to say this, but whenever you join my mailing list, you're actually gonna get some goodies. One of them is a download that has the five pillars of healthy eating, actually also has a resource list and some recipes and things like that. And then also you will get my Veggie Fit Kids e-guide in a separate email. So there'll be two emails where you can get these cool downloads. So there is a little bit of a perk to joining, but in addition, you will be um, the first one to get notified of my new episodes each Sunday a little bit more background information on them and a link so it's easy for you to be able to just go through your email and listen to the episodes and any information on travel dates and presentations and things like that. So you can be in the loop, make sure that you know what's going on. So I would love for you to join. There's two ways to join. You can text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to the number 66866. That's an easy way, just on your phone. Text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866. Or you can go to my website, dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com, forward slash sign up, and then you can manually enter your name and your email through the computer that way. I want to take a moment to give a shout out to a reviewer on my podcast. This is from Moose Coffee, five stars, titled Awesome for Future Parents. 
Moose Coffee says, I am a certified medical assistant and I'm very into the plant-based diet lifestyle. I get tired of seeing patients with the same problems, hypertension, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, etc. It's awesome that more doctors are embracing the lifestyle. I'm 26, single, and have no kids, but this podcast will come in handy when I do have kids, a little winky face emoji. Thank you so much, Moose Coffee, for listening, for the review. Thank you so much for spreading the message about plant-based nutrition and how powerful our diet and our lifestyle are in preventing and even reversing some of these chronic diseases and bringing us more joy and longevity in our lives. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you so much, and I appreciate all of you listeners, all of you veggie lovers. If you have a moment... Please subscribe to my podcast. Please rate and review it on Apple, on the iTunes podcast listener. I would really appreciate that. Also, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my book, it is good for everybody, not just parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, pretty much anybody that helps feed children or feeds themselves, which is almost everybody. My book is called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in all the major online booksellers. You can also go to my website, dryami.com forward slash book, find out more information there. And if you have already purchased and read my book, I would love if you take a moment to write a review on Amazon. And if you do, I will read it on one of these episodes. So thank you so much, all of you, for taking the time to do that. So now let me tell you more about my guest today. Her name is Dr. Arti Tangadu, and she is a triple board certified physician who specializes in endocrinology, diabetes and metabolism, and lifestyle medicine. I found out that we took the test together on the same day to become certified in lifestyle medicine, so that's really cool. She is also certified in plant-based nutrition, and she's a certified yoga teacher, multi-talented. Dr. Thangadu feels it is important to address the whole person more than simply diseases, which led her to leave the largest endocrinology practice in the country to create her own clinic, Complete Medicine, where she can do just that. In her clinic, she focuses on diabetes and chronic disease prevention and reversal by optimizing lifestyle, thereby reducing the need for medications. She spends time with her patients to identify the root causes of their problems, whether medical, social, nutritional, or all of the above, and comes up with person-centered treatment plans for each individual. Outside of her private practice, she serves as the endocrinologist for the retired SAPD and San Antonio firefighters. Dr. Arti, that's so cool. She also engages her community by giving talks and partnering with local businesses to spread the message of healthful lifestyle. In her free time, she explores San Antonio and travels with her husband and two young children. Guys, this is a great episode. It's a wonderful part of this series on diabetes. I hope that it really solidifies some of the common concerns that a lot of people with diabetes face, like Shouldn't I avoid carbs? Shouldn't I just eat high protein or high fat foods? Or isn't keto the right answer for me? Well, this is another episode to answer those questions. And I hope it does. And I would love to hear your reactions on this. Some of the things that we talked about was her own journey in discovering plant-based nutrition and the transformation that she and her husband experienced. It's great how she started integrating 
nutrition and lifestyle medicine into her practice. Of course, we talked about what specific dietary changes she recommends for people with diabetes. We talk about the ketogenic diet. We talk about, is it possible to eat too much fruit? There's a lot of wonderful things that we discuss in this podcast. She's really great. I am so grateful that we have amazing physicians like this in our world. I hope that you enjoy it. And without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Dr. Arti Tangadu, so excited to have you on Veggie Doctor Radio today. I am really excited to talk more about diabetes. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here too. Well, before we get started, because I want to learn more about your interest in plant-based nutrition, also one of my loves, lifestyle medicine. I just want to give a shout out to Texas. I see that you live in San Antonio. Yes, the Lone Star State. Love it. I grew up in Texas, so I will consider myself always a Texan, even though now I live in Washington State, but um, went to San Antonio many times, walked on the Riverwalk and had authentic Tex-Mex, which a lot of people have never really had, real Tex-Mex. I grew up on that stuff, so very cool that you live in that state. Oh, thank you. Well, well, you're welcome back anytime you wish. Yeah, I'm going to go visit you. That would be fun. Oh, please do. So let's talk about your interest in plant-based nutrition and lifestyle medicine. How has this developed over your life and over your career? Yeah, so I, um, I learned about plant-based nutrition almost by accident. So around end of 2018, 2019, I was going through a career transition and um, I had a new baby at home and lots of things were going on that were pretty stressful. And my au pair who lives with us is, um, is plant-based. And so we'd been eating plant-based meals for a few months with her at dinner time. And she'd been teaching me about it. She's a nutritionist from Brazil. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of stressors in my life right now that I can't control, but what I can control is what I put into my body. And so at that time I was really fatigued. I was still nursing my baby and working a lot and seeing a lot of patients. Um, And I was experiencing joint pains and fatigue and just felt like, you know, I was 33 at the time and just, I didn't feel like I should be feeling in any way bad at that age. And I was pretty... I wasn't overweight, nothing, no health conditions. So I said, let me try this plant-based nutrition thing. And so then I did it. And within days, joint pains went away. I felt like I had more energy and I didn't mean to go fully plant-based, but at that time, anytime I would have an animal-based product, I would immediately feel bad and fatigued. And I was like, I've got a lot going on. I have a job, I have kids, I've got a husband, I've got a lot going on. I can't afford to feel bad when I know that I can feel good. And so then I just said, okay, I'm sticking with this plant-based thing. But then I started thinking about, wow, this made such an impact in my life so quickly. There's got to be something to this. This isn't just me. It would probably help a bunch of people if if I learned more about it. So that's when I started learning more about plant-based nutrition. I did the Colin Campbell plant-based nutrition certification, and I was just amazed 
at all of the evidence out there that isn't known to physicians. And um, it just became my mission to teach people more about the science of nutrition and getting people healthier through lifestyle means instead of um, focusing on just medications. I love that. I love these stories that begin so personal and for you, especially because it's like a matter of survival, right? You have a baby, you have a busy career. I just need to feel better. I need to get through my day, not feel like I got hit by a train by the end of the day. And so you took that almost like an experiment for yourself. Okay. I feel better. I think I'm going to continue doing this because it makes sense. But then you took that information and you turned around and said, how can I use this to help others. So at what point did you start applying it to your own patients? So interesting. My patient zero was my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we experiment on our family. And so my husband is a intensive care physician and he works nights. And around that same time, it was a stressful period in our whole family's life. And he put on 30 pounds and he just was feeling sluggish and fatigued. And he gained all that weight working out with a personal trainer five days a week. And so when I decided to go plant-based, he was like, you know, if somebody in the family is going on any sort of dietary plan, we are all going to do it because otherwise it's just not going to work. And I don't want you cooking like a bazillion meals for, for our family. And so he decided to do it. And I also started him on intermittent fasting and he, you know, as an ICU physician, he's always on and it is incredibly important for him to be sharp all the time because literally lives depend on it. And he said that he felt his cognition drastically improved overnight, literally. And, um, he was able to lose the 30 pounds within a couple of months and, um, that was just amazing for him and for our whole family. And then it started seeping out. My family started noticing, um, you know, you guys look pretty good. What's going on? You've changed your diet. And then my mom, who's had diabetes for a while now, she had gestational diabetes when she was pregnant with me and she's struggled with weight her whole life. She was like, okay, tell me what you're doing. I'm going to do it. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. And then my mom lost weight, improved her blood sugars, improved improved her health, um, doing plant based nutrition. And so those were those were my first patients, and that was kind of when I was learning all about it. And then um, in April of 2019, I started my practice. I was planning to start my own practice. Did not plan to do plant based nutrition in my own practice, um, and didn't really know what I was doing. I was just I just knew I had to do something different than what I was doing before because um, my family wasn't thriving before. So then I started introducing plant-based nutrition into my own practice. And now it's become kind of the center of my whole practice um, just with the drastic improvements that I've been able to achieve with my patients. Wow. What a transformation story for yourself, for your husband. And you're right. Whenever you work and in, intensivist career, you do need to be sharp because people's lives depend on it. But he was able to take his own health and use it to spread more love and joy and health to other people. Because whenever we are feeling good ourselves, we can radiate more of that to other people, especially when you're a physician working in a a career like that. So that is just amazing. Plus your mom, 
and I, I feel like your story, it's, this was meant to be, right? It was like right along the time when you're starting your own path, it just aligned, made sense. And then naturally you were able to evolve and spread it to your patients. So then you, you're triple board certified. Congratulations. A very smart lady. So you specialize not just in endocrinology, but also in diabetes and metabolism, which is something I wanted to continue the conversation because last week we talked to Cyrus about their program, Mastering Diabetes. So I want to hear from you as a physician, can diet and lifestyle changes truly improve diabetes for patients? And is it true as a physician that type two diabetes really can be reversed? Yeah. So that's, um, that's a multifaceted question. So first diabetes reversal, it's this big hot topic now. And so the definition of diabetes reversal is that a patient technically has their diabetes reversed if they have a normal hemoglobin A1C and normal blood sugars off of all glucose lowering medications. And so, yes, and if that's the definition, then yes, absolutely. I've seen it in my own patients and we can get patients off of medication through diet and lifestyle. So diet is huge, but other things like exercise, stress management, cessation of bad habits, those things are also important to get patients to their best health. Um, And as a physician, I would say yes, if for all intents and purposes, you don't have to take any medications for diabetes and you're not having any of the complications of diabetes, I would say, it's, I think it's fine to say it's reversed or in remission. Mm-hmm. And the reason I ask that is because there's so many people that when they're initially diagnosed either with diabetes or even pre-diabetes, they're told there's no cure for this. And because of that, they may feel helpless. They may feel like there's nothing that they can do. They don't feel empowered to make any changes because they're like, well, I guess I have this forever. Just roll over and take it, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think this is new for a lot of people to hear that, you know what, this is not a life sentence. It doesn't have to be a life sentence. There are things that you can do to essentially reverse this condition and get off of medications. Maybe not for everybody, but probably for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think that is super, super important because the thing with diabetes is if we can aggressively treat it in the early stages, like pre-diabetes or early stage diabetes, like in the first 10 to 15 years, then we have a solid chance of reversing it and getting patients to better health and off of medications. However, if we wait to that 15, 20, 25 year point, that's when they get sent to an endocrinologist. Now, reversal is not an option anymore for most of those patients because what happens is the early stages of diabetes are insulin resistance. That means your body is producing insulin, but it isn't using it well because of the excess fat in your diet or your body fat. But if we can remove those factors and make you insulin sensitive again, which we can in the early stages of diabetes, then we can get you off medications. However, over time, after 15, 20 years, the pancreas, which is the organ that produces insulin, gets really tired. And it's like, I can't do this anymore. I've been overworking for a couple of decades now and um, I'm done. And so at that time, 
we reach the insulin deficiency stage of type 2 diabetes. And when we are insulin deficient, well, no matter how much I improve your insulin sensitivity, you're probably still going to need insulin um, or at least some other kind of medication. Okay. Well, this is great because it leads me into the next couple of questions I want to ask. So what is your approach whenever you get a patient that's coming in with either pre-diabetes or they're in the early stage of type two diabetes? So their body still makes insulin, but they're having these symptoms of insulin resistance, maybe starting to use some medicine, maybe some insulin. What do you start with, with those patients? So first we take a really thorough history because Every patient is different, and I like to individualize care to each patient. Um, And we figure out, you know, how long have you had diabetes? What have you tried? What have you been told? Try to gauge where that person is, because some patients are on a completely different page. Some patients come in knowing about plant-based nutrition, and that's why they sought me out. And then some patients have no concept of what is healthy. And so I really try to understand the individual and then I coach them up. I tell, I talk to them about, you know, what is the cause of, of diabetes? And most people think it is insulin deficiency. And so a lot of times I'm coaching patients on, you know, actually your body is making insulin, but it just doesn't know how to use it. So I teach them about insulin resistance and then um, give them some uh, somewhat of a physiology lesson. <laughs> um, and then I talk to them about how we can move from insulin resistant to insulin sensitive. And that is um, through diet, lifestyle, things like fasting, exercise, hormones, how sleep affects it, how stress affects it, how medications can affect it. And then based on that patient, together we come up with an initial goal. I don't like to tell a patient to reinvent their entire life overnight. Oftentimes these patients have just met me and it's just impossible. Rome wasn't built in one day. I don't expect my patients to completely change their lifestyle in one visit. And so we find one identifiable goal that's black and white and we write it down. We write out a plan to achieve their goal with like if it's eating three servings of veggies a day. We write out what veggies, how often they're going to do it, where they're going to do it, who they're going to do it with, what's their support system, what are their barriers, how are they going to overcome their barriers, how confident are they that they can achieve that goal. And I like my patients to be somewhat confident that they can achieve their goal so that I'm not just um, setting them up to fail. And what I found is success builds upon success. So once my patient has knocked off that one goal, then they're ready and empowered to meet their next goal. And so we take baby steps and I'm there to support them. Usually I set up a phone call with my patients about a week after their initial visit to see how they're doing. Um, I use continuous blood glucose monitors so that patients get real-time feedback on how their lifestyle and diet are affecting their blood sugars. And they are engaged and empowered to to continue on a path towards good health. Um, And so I use all the tools at my disposal to really engage the patients because diabetes is an interesting beast of a disease. I can tell my patients whatever I want to tell them, but the burden falls on the patients. So 
the patient has to know that they're the driver of the ship and they cannot take a passive role and keeping them engaged is really um, what helps them helps them stay on the right path. That's fantastic. So you're absolutely a physician coach and you know that when it comes to approaching these chronic conditions, these conditions of lifestyle, we do have to take that kind of approach. We have to take a coaching approach because behavior change can be really difficult, especially when these habits have been set in for so many, many years for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. If somebody came to you and said, all right, Dr. Arti, I'm ready. Tell me exactly what's going to be the best diet to improve my insulin sensitivity. What would be the key components of the diet that you would prescribe? Okay. So I would prescribe a whole food plant-based diet. Um, so a diet that consists of whole grains, fruits, veggies, and legumes, and a diet that is low in fat. So it's important, I think, to tell patients that it's not just whatever you want, however much you want. We need to be paying attention to fats and and calories to some degree too, because sometimes people are like, oh, I need to eat a plant-based diet. Let me eat avocados and let me eat like 10 avocados a day. No joke. Like I had a patient eating six avocados a day and wondering why he was gaining weight. And it's not that the patient wasn't smart or anything. It was just that I didn't do a good enough job making sure he understood that if you are eating a high fat food all the time, you're still going to gain weight and you're not going to get as much of a benefit as if you're sticking to the the lower fat foods, the lower calorie density foods. So I um, have a lot of resources on my website that I give my patients. But um, one of those resources is the Center for Nutrition Studies Whole Food Plant-Based Guide. So that has a list of foods to eat in abundance, foods to eat in moderation, things to avoid. Um, Because, you know, we as physicians know that patients only retain 30% of what we tell them, you know, if that in an office visit. So I think it's important to send them home with a good set of resources that they can look to, to as they reflect on, on the things that you talked about. Mm -hmm. That's great. I'll definitely put a link to that guide so that people can access that. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love it. So what you're saying about, because I feel like I've been talking about fat a lot, like dietary fat, definitely talked with Cyrus about this, Mm -hmm. but besides the fact that fat is dense and because of that, it can keep maybe unwanted pounds for some people or cause weight gain. How does it also affect insulin resistance? Yeah, so that's the important part when it comes to diabetes, right? So fat can, we have seen in studies, it can acutely worsen insulin resistance. So basically you feed someone a high fat meal, they're more insulin resistant than if we were to feed them a lower fat meal. I see this in my type one patients. So patients with type one diabetes Um, so long as they're lean, they're typically very sensitive to insulin. But if you give them a high fat meal, they will have hyperglycemia for like a long time. They'll be repeat bolusing, repeat bolusing. Whereas if they're sticking to a lower fat plant-based diet, their insulin sensitivity goes up, their insulin resistance plummets. Um, And we see it within hours in these people. So Insulin resistance um, happens on the cellular level, 
where um, fat can really impair the cellular uptake of sugar because insulin isn't working as well. And same thing goes for the, the liver. So the liver constantly is making sugar through a process called gluconeogenesis. And when the body sees that there's enough blood sugar, insulin tells the liver to, hey, stop making so much sugar because we've got enough, but that insulin signaling gets impaired when the liver gets full of fat too. Mm -hmm. So on, and then we get into this vicious cycle of increased insulin, which insulin is an anabolic hormone. It makes us put on more fat, but what, so when we are insulin resistant, our insulin levels are high. So we're putting on more fat and we're getting more and more insulin resistant and the blood sugars are still going higher because the insulin isn't working well to modulate the blood sugar. So um, it's very important to just break that vicious cycle by working on insulin sensitivity. Yeah, that's definitely the phrase I had in mind. It's a vicious cycle. And for some people, they may feel desperately trapped in that cycle and not know how to get out. But what you're saying one of these components with diet, they can start to improve that insulin sensitivity and break that cycle. You mentioned the type one diabetics. That's where I was going next, because I feel like we talk a lot about people that have prediabetes and type two diabetes, but the type one diabetics are in a different category because they don't make any of their own insulin. So they have to take all exogenous insulin. They have to give themselves insulin in order to be able to absorb sugar, glucose in their diet. Mm -hmm. Are there differences whenever you are approaching diet with a type one diabetic? Because I feel in my experience as a pediatrician, when I have patients that are on type one, you know, that have type one diabetes, it's the standard, you know, eat lots of lean chicken and low fat yogurt and string cheese and lots and lots of cheese, you know? And so what are the differences whenever you're approaching a patient with type one diabetes? Can they get benefit from a low fat whole food plant-based diet as well? So yes. And honestly, they can get incredible benefits because so kids may be a little bit different. I'm not a pediatrician, so I can't really speak to, to kids, but for adults, a lot of our type ones as adults are, yes, they're type one, they're insulin deficient, but they're also insulin resistant because now we're seeing adults with type one who are obese or overweight. Um, and so when we have a type one patient, we calculate very closely their insulin to carb ratios. So how many units of insulin, um, how many grams of carbs, one unit of insulin will be able to lower their blood sugar back to normal with. We also calculate very carefully their sensitivity factors. So if they're high, how many units of insulin do we need to bring their blood sugar down? And so I have a patient who was on that standard of care, standard um, low carb diet, and she came to me very frustrated um, she was effectively trying to do a ketogenic diet with 30 grams of carbs a day. Her blood sugars were going up and down and unpredictable. She has two young kids and she wasn't really comfortable feeding her children a ketogenic diet. So she was trying to make a bunch of different meals for her family. And so I said, you know, this was very early in my practice. I think she was one of the first patients I saw. Um, and I had been exposed to Cyrus and Robbie and mastering diabetes at that point. I said, let's try this whole whole food plant-based diet. I'm doing it myself and we'll learn about it together. And she is like a rock star. And she was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And so when she started her 
insulin to carb ratio was one to six. So she needed one unit of insulin for every six grams of carbohydrates that she eats. That's a pretty insulin resistant type one diabetic. Typically type ones need about a one to 12 or one to 14. So on a ketogenic diet, and she's not obese or anything like that. She was like a normal um, body habitus patient requiring quite a bit of insulin for the carbs that she was eating. So now we changed her and she was just gung ho. She's like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm doing whole food plant-based. I'm going to do it right. And she got on forks over knives and um, really did it. And within a few days we had um, doubled her insulin sensitivity. So she was needing one unit of insulin for 12 grams of carbs and she was still dropping low. And then now she's on one to 18 and still having some issues with hypoglycemia. So we have more than tripled her insulin sensitivity using this diet. Moreover, she was able to lose a little bit of weight. She wasn't underweight, but she wasn't obese. So that, that made her happy. And also she had high cholesterol. Her LDL cholesterol was up in the 180s um, and she's pretty young, wasn't crazy about being on a whole bunch of medications. And we dropped her LDL cholesterol by a hundred points in three months. So type one patients, not only can we improve their blood sugar control, we can improve other things that increase their risks during with type one. Type ones have increased coronary artery disease risk, just like our type twos do. So we want to be making sure to stay on top of their cholesterol as well. And a whole food plant-based diet just helps with, with both aspects. That's an incredible story. So how about, how did she feel with this transition? Was she feeling better? Like how did, what did she report as far as um, the way that her day-to-day life was going? Yeah. So she felt much better. She felt that she could feed her children what she was eating, which she was really happy about. She also um, just felt empowered. Now, all of a sudden she was able to do something that was actually helping because I mean, she's meticulous. She counts her carbs. She weighs her food. She does everything right. And she wasn't really having success. And all of a sudden her A1C, which was always in the sixes, was in the fives. And we just felt like, wow, I can do something that, that actually works. Oh, beautiful story. That leads me into the next question, which I think you've touched upon a little bit. If there's somebody that already has what they feel is great control of their blood sugars, great A1, hemoglobin A1C, but they're eating the typical American diabetic diet, are there other reasons that they may want to consider trying out a whole food, a low fat, whole food, plant-based diet? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that we don't preach enough in traditional practice, or maybe we don't follow through enough in medical practice is that prevention is the best medicine. So if we can prevent a patient from having disease, that is the most cost-effective and most powerful way to treat a disease is to never have it. And so a whole food plant-based diet can prevent long-term complications from diabetes. Um, Coronary artery disease is a huge one. Uh, Patients with diabetes are at higher risk for coronary artery disease, but just in general, 
coronary artery disease is the number one killer in, in our country. And so if we can start normalizing a diet that actually prevents coronary plaque buildup or decreases inflammation to decrease risk of plaque rupture and inflammation, then we could be doing huge, huge things for the health of our community. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And also other diseases. I mean, a, a whole food plant-based diet is anti-inflammatory. So pretty much every chronic disease has to do with inflammation. So if we are giving people a diet that is decreasing high cholesterol, high blood pressure, even what I experience, joint pains, things that can be very debilitating. Um, I think it is worth looking into and investing in as a patient, as a physician, um, as just a member of our community. Yeah, definitely. And especially also to remember that people with type 1 diabetes, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. And people that have one autoimmune condition are at increased risk for developing other autoimmune conditions. Mm -hmm. So looking at a diet that might help decrease your risk a little bit, since your risk is already elevated, I think that might be something worth thinking about as well. Absolutely. And I don't think that we need to get carried away and say that a plant-based diet will cure all diseases. There is definitely a role for medication. However, it is a harmless way to decrease your risk of some things. And so when we're talking about treatment for anything, we always talk about the risk benefit ratio. And so you really can only benefit from a plant-based diet and there's really no risk from a plant-based diet so long as you're doing it appropriately. Love it. That's great. Well, I just want to touch a little bit more because <laughs> you already brought it up. Yeah. Ketogenic diets, whether it's the traditional ketogenic diet or vegan ketogenic diet, what are your thoughts on this? So with the ketogenic diet, I think it is, it's very trendy. And the thing that is, that people like about it is people can experience very rapid weight loss and very dramatic weight loss. However, I just don't, haven't seen enough science that hasn't been industry funded that supports a ketogenic diet for long-term health, especially cardiovascular health. Um, for diabetes, if you're not feeding your body any sugar, sure, you might have reasonably good blood sugars, but are we worsening the underlying cause, insulin resistance? Well, yeah, we are with the keto diet. And so I think just like if I had strep throat, if I was masking the, the pain with ibuprofen, but not treating with an antibiotic, well, I could have a lot of complications down the road. And the same is the way I think about, about ketogenic diet with diabetes. It's kind of treating the hyperglycemia, but perhaps not treating the insulin resistance, which was the cause anyway. Um, and then the heart, you know, we don't want to be treating the blood sugars at the risk of the heart. And we don't have enough evidence to say that it doesn't increase your risk of cardiovascular disease. And some studies 
studies either show that there is no change in LDL, which is if you're losing weight, your LDL should be going down. So if you're losing weight, but your LDL is staying the same, something intrinsic about that diet is actually raising your LDL in my mind. And some people even have an increase in their LDL and a profound increase in their LDL. Um, and also with meat, like red meat based ketogenic diet, we worry about things like colon cancer. The WHO has a pretty strong statement with a meta analysis of like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies showing that red meat increases risk of colon cancer, um, especially processed red meat. So um, I think the risks are just too potentially high to be, to be prescribing a ketogenic diet to patients. I'm always looking at the science and I'm the first one that's open to, to changing my mind. Um, but right now, I just don't think there's enough science to support uh, a meat-based ketogenic diet. So now a vegan ketogenic diet. I think if you're going to go keto, you probably want to minimize your meat intake because of all the saturated fat and pro-inflammatory nature of, of meat and hormones and all kinds of badness that can come from meat. So I think that perhaps a vegan keto diet might be better than a meat-based one. However, um, we don't know what the long-term effects of ketosis are. And um, so we don't know if it's safe. And also, you might be able to achieve the same results without putting yourself into ketosis. So I think if, if a vegan diet or a whole food plant-based diet isn't working for you, then maybe try it. But, but if you may be able to just achieve the same results without having to restrict your carbs so much. My, my type 1 patient who I was talking about, she is now on less insulin eating 200 grams of carbs than she was eating 30 grams of carbs on a keto diet. Wow. And that's, I mean, in my opinion, I'm just going to say that's my opinion. That's a much more pleasant way to live. You know, yeah. I mean, it's really, really hard to decrease your carbohydrates that low because we want carbohydrates our brain, our body runs on that, you know? So trying to purposely put it that low is, is really tough. And wow, that's amazing that she had that kind of change in her, mm -hmm. in her insulin. In and her she insulin lost system. weight and she lost weight. So I think people um, get really worried that if they eat carbs, they're going to gain a bunch of weight. And that's just not true for most people. Um, so long as your calories aren't out of control and um, you're not doing a ketogenic diet. So people have this, uh, my patients who are on a ketogenic diet, they're like, I can't eat an apple. And I'm like, of course you can't eat an apple because you're so insulin resistant. But once we decrease your dietary fat and making and make your body more insulin resistant, then you will be more tolerant of carbohydrates. And all of a sudden you'll be able to process those good carbs and fiber and water and all the wonderful things that apple has to offer you without spiking your blood sugar. But patients on a ketogenic diet, they'll say, if I sniff a carb, I gain five pounds. And they're not lying because they've made themselves so glucose intolerant that they just cannot process them properly. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take long to, to flip the other way. Yeah. That's, I think that's a, a great thing to add is that 
it's not one of those, it's not permanent. So you can change that trend very quickly once you adopt a low fat, whole food, plant-based diet. That's great. So that leads perfectly into a question I have for you is what are the common mistakes that people with diabetes make when they're transitioning their diet and lifestyle? Or maybe what are the common misunderstandings that you encounter when people are first making this transition? So one thing that's really important to distinguish is a whole food plant-based diet versus a vegan diet. So Yes, a whole food plant-based diet is a vegan diet, but not all vegan diets are whole food plant-based. For example, Oreos are vegan. They are not healthy. (laughs) Um, They are still high in fat and sugar and refined carbs, and they are still junk food. And so I have a lot of patients who get really excited because there's these vegan bakeries and there's all these foods in the frozen section that say they're vegan on them, like the Impossible Burger and all this stuff. Those things are still junk food. If they're highly processed foods, if they have a lot of added salt and sugar, and you don't know how it got from the farm to your plate, it is still not helpful. So just making sure that people know what a whole food plant-based diet really is. It's whole foods. It's sticking to the produce section. It's not getting a bunch of box stuff or prepackaged stuff um, that happens to be vegan. Um, that's really important because if you're eating the junk food, junk food is junk food. You're, you're not going to really see success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also telling people the things that they need to eat in moderation, like nuts. Yeah, they're healthy, but you can't eat an entire bag of nuts and think that you're not going to gain weight. Same thing. Like I mentioned avocados before. So making sure people know to stick to the majority of their diet should be coming from the lower calorie density, fruits, veggies, those things. You can cook them, you can make them in different ways, but you don't want to add a bunch of things to your meals that are going to be high calorie. Mm -hmm. And how do you help people transition? So if they're coming from high insulin resistance and all of a sudden they're looking at eating brown rice and beans and those kinds of things. And they're so afraid and maybe their numbers initially go up a little bit. How do you walk them through that? Yeah. So, so some people are just totally ready to make the switch and they've heard of all these foods. And then there's some people who just haven't, don't even know that brown rice is a thing, you know? And so we really need to meet them where they are. Um, most patients, their numbers don't go up hmm. right away if they're, if they're doing things right. That was kind of my concern. If somebody was used to doing a low-carb ketogenic diet, will their numbers go up immediately because they're so insulin resistant? That really hasn't been my experience, fortunately. Um, and if patients are not having the success that they wanted to see, we do do a very in-depth, detailed diet history. Um, I don't like patients to have to write down everything, but sometimes patients cannot figure out what is the culprit of their um, absence of weight loss and um, what what they're doing wrong. And so what I'll do is have them have like a 72-hour diet log where they're writing down everything. And we really do identify a lot of things um, in, in those dietary logs. What are some of the common things that you're able to kind of pick out that people may, they may have not realized might be interfering? 
almond butter, like nut butters. People, you can eat a lot of those. My three-year-old last night just like asked for like spoons and spoons of it. And so I was like, well, if I was ever concerned that you aren't getting enough calories from the broccoli and tomatoes on your plate, <laughs> we, we know that you did because you just ate your own weight in almond butter. But people can, people can consume a lot of calories in in those nut butters, liquid calories are easy to consume. So if somebody's having like a massive smoothie that has like five fruit in it, five whole fruits in it, and almond butter and almond milk or oat milk or like that has a whole bunch of things in it, they could be consuming far more calories than they expected. Also, I for some of my patients who are really struggling with weight loss, I calculate their basal metabolic rate and it's usually much lower than they expected. And so having an understanding of really how many calories you need to be eating, because on the label, it, you know, how it says, this is based on a 2000 calorie diet. Well, most people don't really need to be eating 2000 calories a day. I, if I was eating 2000 calories a day, I would be gaining so much weight. So I think getting people to understand, you know, I don't like to be a, a stringent calorie counter. I think that can be counterproductive and can be really um, taxing just on your mental health, but um, just getting people to understand a little bit about nutrient density, calorie density, um, making sure they're not eating excessive calories of healthy foods is important. Yeah, you pointed out some really important ones when it comes to calorie density, because we can make it a lot simpler than we usually do by just really decreasing our consumption of the oils, which is the most calorie dense food available on the planet, nuts, nut butters, which are even more dense because they're processed down into this paste that's so easy to consume. And of course, the liquid, this, any beverages that we're able to process down, it's just so easy to consume. And yeah, you can make some monster, amazingly delicious smoothies. You can just suck down so fast and you're just not going to feel as full as if you would have put everything on a plate and tried to eat that, you know? So I think mm -hmm. using the combination of calorie density, but also paying attention to hunger and satiety, because when we eat the food in its whole form and focus on the lower calorie density foods, we should be able to tune into a point where our body is like, you know, I think that's enough for now. So you can kind of use a combination and, and learn as you go. So those are really great. So I'm curious, is it possible to eat too much fruit? Because I feel like we, the pendulum swings from like fruit is evil to you can't have too much fruit. <laughs> so where do you stand on the, on the fruit debate? Yeah. So, so here's the thing too much like quantities are so variable person to person. And so for me, if, you know, if I was going to eat fruit, I would find it very difficult to eat 10 servings of fruit a day, but my neighbor might not. And so that's why I think we have to give people a gauge. I had a patient in my old practice that had um, something called postprandial hypoglycemia. That means when patients have a high carb meal, their blood sugar uh, goes up and then falls after it because their, their pancreas overshoots. It produces too much insulin. And I put her on a continuous blood glucose monitor and I saw this like spike in sugar and then drop. And I was like, she's like, I just eat fruit. I don't need any junk food. I don't eat like 
um, cookies or candy or anything like that. And I was like, okay, tell me a little bit more about the fruit. And she was eating like a 60 ounce fruit cup in one serving. And so I think that most of us probably wouldn't be able to overdo it on fruit, but there are some people who certainly can. Um, and so um, I think giving people a guideline of like maybe three servings of fruit a day for my type twos, I think um, most people aren't only eating fruit. Most people are eating more mixed meals and probably are introducing fat into their diet. So they are going to be able to get sufficient calories eating three servings of fruit and then other foods as well. There are some type ones like with mastering diabetes. I mean, those guys eat tons and tons of fruit, but that's effectively the, that's the majority of what they're eating. They're not having like a taco ever. <laughs> so, so I think, um, that is a question. Um, it, is there too much, is it possible to get too much fruit? Well, yes, for some people and no, for some people, it kind of depends on the entire diet and your, that your individual needs. Excellent points. And, and I completely agree. It has to be individualized. You have to kind of look at the situation and I have to call out my beautiful mother. I, I she comes up a lot on this podcast, but mm-hmm. we're Panamanian. So my mother grew up in Panama, climbing trees, eating like all the fresh fruit and her and her brother, they're like fruit addicts. They love it. So when she goes to Panama, she lives there half of the year, lives with us half of the year. When they go to Panama, she has a hard time not getting like a wash tub size tub of mango and just sitting there and just eating them. (laughs) And the other thing too, I think is important is this is why I keep bringing up intuitive eating too, because any time that you're just eating just for the stimulation of eating, essentially that's all excess calories as well. So one of those things to know, but she loves fruit so much that she will just eat like a huge tub of fruit just for fun. Um, and I don't think it was helping her. So I have to give her a lecture about this. Um, but yeah, it's true. I think that we shouldn't be afraid of fruit and most people probably aren't going to overeat it. Most people, but there might be some people (laughs) that really love it a lot that it might potentially become a problem. So thank you for answering that question. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about exercise. One of the things that I've learned from my lifestyle medicine training and also being a physician is that exercise is so important. And for some people, it can really be powerful for improving their insulin sensitivity. So talk a little bit more about exercise and what tips you have for people with diabetes that are starting to integrate physical activity into their regimens. So exercise is incredibly important for diabetes because exercise can be used in place of insulin. It sensitizes your muscles to insulin. And so some people, especially our type ones, like they have to turn off their pumps while they exercise, which is incredible if you translate it over to type two, right? So you can decrease your need for medication by simply exercising. And so I think that exercise is very, very, very important for all of us, but um, diabetics especially. Um, And I'm in, there's certainly different kinds of exercise that can decrease blood sugar more or be 
be more impactful. However, most people are starting from square one and I encourage my patients, find something that you like because you're going to enjoy it and you're going to do it. If we try to get you to do HIT and you have never even like walked on a treadmill, like it's just not gonna happen. We have to be practical and individualized care for, for patients. And so most of my patients, we're just trying to get them to do something, especially my type two, type two patients. They're not all going to the gym like ever. <laughs> and so just getting them to do something is, is where I like to start. Yeah. Start anywhere. Make it fun. I call it joyful movement. I I love exercising just because it makes me a happier person. So integrating that, not feeling the pressure that, you know, it has to be for weight loss or anything like that, but starting to find some activity that makes you just feel good. And it's going to create so many benefits, benefits in longevity, cardiovascular benefits, Mm -hmm. and of course the well-being. you know, just the joy and the happiness you can spread to other people. So that's great. Absolutely. And the community. So finding people that you like to work out with or finding a gym that's small and people recognize you and you're excited to see your friends. Sometimes I go to bar with my, my neighbor who's my, my good friend and it's just fun to do it with people too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why it probably increases our longevity is mm-hmm. because of that social interaction, doing it with other people. It's just great. So love it. Well, mm-hmm. I want to ask you a couple of fun questions. One is what is the craziest fad for diabetes or some kind of diabetes cure or something like that, that you've either seen on the internet or heard from one of your patients? The ketogenic diet. (laughs) 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 Um, No, I think that is a, that honestly is a big one. Um, I think it's a fad, Um, but there's all sorts of things like Somebody just texted me a pill bottle of berberine, which, you know, is, doesn't have a whole lot of science behind it. Um, people are always asking about these supplements that can magically cure diabetes. And I'm like, you know what? I wish that would cure your diabetes, but you really got to do the work. And I think it's just important to impress that upon people. You got to, there's no quick, fast fad solution. It's all about the work. Yeah. I feel like in Panama, there's always some new tea, some new tea comes out like this exotic fruit that they found in the rainforest in Panama that cures everything. You don't have to change anything at all. All you have to do is start drinking that tea. (laughs) Every time I'm there, there's some new tea. And so I, you know, I have this, like this tea in my pantry that my parents brought and it is the most disgusting thing I have ever tried. My husband accidentally made it for me the other day. And I was like, are you trying to kill me? (laughs) And I was like, why would anybody drink this if they didn't think it was going to cure all ills? And it hasn't cured anything so far, except my appetite. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's awesome. I love it. So you can use that as an appetite suppressant if needed. What's the most dramatic diabetes reversal case that you have witnessed? So... So in terms of time, we have taken somebody from diabetic to normal blood sugars in 11 days and also normalized her blood pressure. And we can say that because she had a continuous blood glucose monitor on, but I have seen 
crazy things like A1Cs of 16, which um, is extremely high. You know that, but for our listeners, it's extremely, extremely high blood sugars to six in three months without, with either one medication or no medications. Okay. So that, you said 16 to mm-hmm. six in three months. Yep. That is incredible. I didn't even know that was possible that quickly. Wow. It's possible. And because blood sugars can normalize literally overnight if you change your lifestyle and diet. So if a patient chooses to change their lifestyle and we have them on a continuous blood glucose monitor, we'll see their blood sugars go from 400 to 90s, literally overnight. You don't, it's, people have a misconception that they have to lose all this weight. They have to do all this stuff, but no, you just change your lifestyle and things change. That's a great idea with that continuous glucose monitor. Cause it gives you that positive feedback that you're on the, the right direction so quickly that mm-hmm. you can just keep doing it. That's, that's simply amazing. Does anybody ever get angry? Like when they see something happen this quickly and they're like, why, why didn't I know about this before or, or feel regretful that they hadn't made changes like this sooner? What kind of reactions do you get? So I've been very lucky in that patients have just been so gracious. They're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy that I met you or I happened upon your Instagram or I I heard about you from my friend um, because otherwise my life would have gone in a completely different trajectory. So more people are grateful than they're angry. I'm probably the angry one because I'm like, oh, why do people send me patients when it's been 20 years and that's when they're deciding to send me or they'll send a patient who's newly diagnosed after putting them on like multiple medications with no lifestyle coaching. And it's, it's not anybody's fault. Not all physicians are trained in this field. There's very few endocrinologists. There's even, there's very few physicians who have any nutritional training. And so it's not their fault. It's just, I wish I could see all of those pre-diabetic patients right when they first found out because we could completely change the trajectory of their life. Wow. Well, thank you so much for what you do already. Even if you can't reach everybody, you're making such a huge impact on people's lives. And what I like to say is joy because when they feel better, they're happier. And that's just a ripple across the entire world. So you are doing way more than you think you are. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's why I do it. It's just, um, it's such a gratifying job and I love, I just love my patients so much. Well, I think it's a great time to ask you what you wish more people knew. So I wish people would just know that it's not about the outcome. It's about the work, just doing the work, getting there, the process. That's what we need to focus on. Uh, uh, Wanting an outcome, wishing for an outcome without a plan to get there. That's just a wish. You know, we need to focus on the process. And if you do the work and are engaged in the process, you will have the outcome. So I think changing the frame of mind to the work versus the outcome can really help people. I think that's so perfect because I like to frame it in a similar way too. When we create goals, a goal might be this kind of abstract thing that we may or may not get, but whenever you make the goal, the actual habit, just like you're saying, the work is the habit, right? Creating these new habits, 
adopting a new diet, a new way of eating, adopting a new way of approaching exercise, doing those things usually does lead to the goal that they want. But whenever we just focus on that final outcome, it may be hazy, vague. We don't know how to get there. So focus instead on the steps you need to take to get there. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. Dr. Arti, what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Okay. So my personal habit that I'm really proud of is uh, my task list. Okay. So I am, I'm a self-starter. Admittedly, I'm a self-starter. I don't need a whole bunch of people telling me to do stuff to, to get things done, but I do need a list. And so I have a, a literal list on my computer. It's actually in my EMR and I can click a check for everything that I do and I separate everything by days. So if I need to, for example, I need to buy my sister-in-law something today, it goes on that list and I check it off. If I have to call a patient about something, it goes on there. Everything that I do goes on this list, even if it's something for my daughter's school, because what I think a lot of people, a lot of moms, working moms forget is our mental bandwidth is stretched in so many different directions that we don't account for the time and mental energy it takes to do the things for our home. And that does actually take a lot of time making dinner. If that's not on your list and you don't count it as an actual thing that you did, you don't give yourself credit for it, right? And so some of us, myself included, sometimes I just feel like, where did the whole day go? Like I didn't do anything. Well, yes, I did. I made five doctor's appointments. I talked to some patients. I picked up my husband's dry cleaning. I did all of these things that aren't things that I give myself credit for, but it's really made me understand time management, but also it's made me understand, okay, we are all actually doing a lot of things. We just can't take over the world every day and we can't like finish 10, 10 presentations for the rest of the year in one day. It's just not humanly possible. So my task list, I would say that's a, that's what I'm proud of. I love that approach. I, I think that's so great in so many ways because that list keeps you productive, keeps you doing the things you need to do to run your life, but also gives you that validation that we need sometimes from doing even like the most menial tasks that we feel like is just part of our requirements as mothers or as physicians. So it kind of gives you that feel good that empowers you and enables you to keep doing more things, keep doing more tasks. I love it. That's great. Well, I would love to know how listeners can connect with you and what services you provide. Yes, absolutely. So I, um, I have my own clinic. It's called Complete Medicine. You can find details about it at our website. It's www.sacomplete.com. And we uh, offer a, it's an endocrinology clinic that is focused on lifestyle optimization. My main interest is diabetes reversal, but for a lot of um, metabolic diseases like thyroid disease, obesity, uh, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, utilizing diet, uh, exercise, lifestyle, um, we can really improve or even reverse some of those too. So we see all sorts of patients. Um, and we offer initial visits that are an hour long and um, we learn about the patient's health history and get to know each other really well. So that's 
specific individualized goals. And then I have follow-ups with my patients uh, about a week later over the phone. We can do phone follow-ups, video chat follow-ups, try to use technology to our advantage and really try to engage and empower patients to their best health. Um, and also I'm on Instagram at Dr. Arthi Thangadu. You can follow me there. Um, I have a blog on my website, the Complete Medicine website as well. So you can kind of hear what's, what's going on in my world. Um, and you can reach out to me on the website as well. Oh, that sounds so great. For your practice, are you seeing only Texas residents or do you do any telemedicine or anything like that? So I do telemedicine for Texas residents. So I'm licensed in Texas. And so um, if you are anywhere in Texas, I can see you. If you are from anywhere um, outside of Texas, you can come see me in my clinic, but I can't do telemedicine for people outside of Texas yet. That might change in the future. Yeah, it is just for the listeners to know, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and, and feel frustrated that more doctors don't do telemedicine. It's a little bit complicated and tricky and can also be financially cumbersome because you have to get licenses in all these states and then hold licenses. And it's, it can be a little bit tricky, but hopefully over time, things will be easier so that us physicians can do more telemedicine and help people that way. So can you please leave us, leave the listeners with a call to action? What is something that they can do this week to improve their lives? So set a goal and make a plan to do the work. So if there's something that you want to accomplish, find a way that will get you there. Like if you want to try going more plant-based, decide, do I want to eat three servings of veggies a day? And then write down how you're going to do that and what, what's going to get you there and work on getting to do the work. Love it. That's great. So something pretty simple to do, set a goal, make a plan to actually do the work, to develop those habits, to get you to where you want to go. Dr. Arti, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio today. I know this episode is going to help so many people and I so appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. 
You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com slash podcast. That's grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.